Hello, and welcome to the Sola Gratia Sermons Podcast. I'm so glad that you decided to drop in today. I pray that you enjoy this sermon and that God, through His Word, convicts you, encourages you, and edifies you. I also pray that this sermon increases your knowledge of God and grows your love for Him and His Scripture. God bless you and keep you. Soli Deo Gloria. In Matthew chapter 6, we will be examining the teachings of Jesus, our Lord, at the last part of the chapter there, verses 25 through 34. As you turn in there, uh, take your time. As uh, Dallas said, my name is uh, Zach Costello. I come from Bartlesville, and I'm uh, incredibly grateful to be with you all this morning. Uh, I... Uh, it's a, it's a surreal thing to be in a new place and um, to have a real call. Um, it's, I knew the call that has been there for a long time, um, but it, I've just been trying to be obedient and, and preach wherever I'm called and wherever I'm needed. I've just been going all over Bartlesville and a little bit in Kansas and Copan and wherever else I'm called, uh, just trying to be obedient and preach the word. Um, God's called me to do that. and. He's given me the gifts to do that, and uh, none of this is me. Um, anything good that comes out of me is Christ alone. So, I've chosen this text. Um, it seemed appropriate to me. It seemed uh, that it might be applicable to you all, and I pray that the Lord uses it for all of our conviction and our edification here this morning. I certainly enjoyed Preparing it, it's certainly applicable to me, and speaking of anxiety and worry and things like that. And I imagine that the time of seeking out a new pastor can certainly uh, be a difficult trial. It could be a time where it might be easy to you know, allow for feelings of anxiety uh, to come in, for worry to come in. And it may be very easy and in such a time for the whole church to have feelings of anxiety and worry and fear. But aside from that, I'm sure we all deal with anxiety and worry in various forms. It's not ever really isolated to just one situation. We see it throughout our whole lives, right? Anxiety is common. It's part of human nature, unfortunately. It's part of the fall, I would imagine. But as believers and new creations in Christ, we are to handle anxiety and worry differently. In the world because we have a savior in Christ we have a sovereign God who we know created all things by the word of his power and upholds the universe so we're to handle anxiety and worry differently aren't we so in this passage I want to examine that it teaches us three reasons essentially why we should obey our Lord and not be anxious amen so number one We'll see that anxiety is fruitless. It's fruitless. And number two, that anxiety is faithless. And number three, anxiety is worldly or of the world. So if you would, this is my tradition. I don't know if it's yours, but if you would stand with me and we'll read the word together. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, Jesus speaking. He says, therefore, I tell you. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food 
and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, I thank you so much for your word. It is life to us. It is conviction to us. It is edifying and encouraging. It corrects us and chastises us when needed, Lord. I pray that you would speak through me, that these would not be just my words, Lord God, but you would empower me, that you would give me strength to preach your word with conviction and power and wisdom, God. Please be with your people this morning. Please edify them and speak to your sheep this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My Bible's too big. A little textual history and context, I think, is always helpful when we're examining these passages. Jesus is, of course, giving instruction to his disciples, right? We see that. In fact, since chapter 5, he's been preaching what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, which I would call, of course, the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of mankind. But he revealed and taught many, many things throughout this sermon, such as the fact that no one can keep the law Perfectly, And he made it clear that sin was an inward issue of the heart, not just merely external to us, right? And he had addressed the crowd. He's answered questions. He has admonished them not to worry greatly about heaping up worldly treasures here on earth, but rather to focus on heavenly treasures and the work of the kingdom. He addressed giving. He addressed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and greediness and covetousness and fear of men versus fear of God. And after finishing all these teachings, we see at the end of chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, we read, The crowds were astonished, for he taught as one who had authority and not as their scribes. But in this passage here in Matthew 6, instead of cultivating something, we see an example of something that we would like to see a lot less of, and that's anxiety and worry and fear, right? And the parallel passage to this is 
Luke chapter 12, starting in 22, I'll, I'll make reference to there a couple times. But regarding anxiety and fear in the Bible, we see, excuse me, at least 365 times. 365 where the word is given, do not fear. Do not fear or fear not. We see it all throughout the Old and the New. So the Bible does take into account and it acknowledges that anxiety is something to which, with which all humanity struggles. We all struggle with it. It acknowledges that. And Jesus mentions, he uses this word anxious or worry in various forms five times throughout this passage alone. So in this context, immediately after proclaiming no one can serve two masters, he moves into application and some illustration explaining the fact that as believers, we are not to be living in anxiety and worry. We're not. He says, verse 25, therefore, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. That's super easy, right? Super easy. Just stop doing it. Stop it. Easier said than done. Amen. So with that, we come to number one, that anxiety is fruitless. It's fruitless. The root of the word for, for worry or anxiety, it means to divide or to pull apart, to be divided. So when we worry and we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed with anxiety, we, we allow ourselves to be pulled in different directions, right? To be divided. And it causes all kinds of problems and our lives can become debilitating because of this division in our hearts and in our minds. He mentions it five times in this passage alone. The main point is obvious. Do not be anxious. Don't do it. We see the same from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Again, super easy, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Well, that's the remedy, isn't it? Notice these verses, they, they don't tell us to run from anxiety, do they? They don't tell us to ignore it, pretend like it doesn't exist, but rather the Bible points out that anxiety is fruitless and that it can add nothing to your life. Absolutely nothing. It cannot add a single hour to your life, Jesus says. Again, the Bible doesn't encourage us to deny the existence of anxiety or just try to run from it and poof, it'll be gone. The Bible doesn't say that. But rather, the exhortation is clear throughout this passage and throughout all of Scripture and that exhortation is to bow down and to cast all your fears, all your anxieties on God Almighty. Cast your fears upon the loving sovereignty of God and practice an intentional trusting in him. That's why I love we did that song, Trust and Obey. Thank you for that, Kevin. The example comes often from my wife, who if there's some crazy situation coming on, uh, going on and I'm worried and I'm anxious and probably angry and what in the world is going on and how am I going to fix this? Me. And she 
soberly looks at me, you know, as the voice of the Holy Spirit, so to speak, and says, are you going to keep complaining about this or are you going to go to your closet and pray? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. First Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, he confirms the same. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because why? He cares for you. Because he cares for you. You see the connection here between humility, humility, before God and choosing not to be anxious. Our choice, our ability to cast off anxiety rests in him, not ourselves. Right? But obviously, according to Peter, believers do struggle with anxiety, right? He's speaking to believers. That is his audience after all. It not only affects unbelievers, anxiety, but Christians as well. Everyone is capable of worry. Everyone has anxiety. Everyone has needs. Amen? Everyone. So verse 25, Jesus addresses three major concerns of human life. Does he not? Food, drink, and clothing. Well, why does he do this? Well, because these are three of the most basic needs in life. Everybody knows that you need them. Amen? We have so many concerns in our modern world, right? So many issues. But if we do not have these three basic needs met, all of those other needs, needs fall by the wayside, don't they? They could become far less important. I mean, just consider the state of the needs of humans in apocalyptic literature or apocalyptic movies or shows where all is lost, right? And people are just fighting to survive and... And it's a desert wasteland in most of these movies or shows and whatnot. And their needs and concerns change a lot, don't they, in this post-apocalyptic world. They're not concerned about, what should we watch on Netflix tonight? There's just too many choices. I can't decide. They're not worried about, what kind of tiling should we get for the kitchen? You know, I, I wonder, should we get light tile? Should dark tile? They're not worried about these things. They're asking questions like, what will I eat? What will I wear? Where shall we sleep without getting murdered? Right? Their needs change. So you see your needs are relative in a, in a way. Verse 26, Jesus gives an illustration concerning the need for food using the birds of the air. The birds of the air. They don't sow or reap, he says. In other words, they do not work for their food. Not in the same way that we do, right? He says, they don't even have barns, and yet your father provides for them, and he ensures that they're fed. Isn't that great? We see this from the psalmist in Psalm 147, verse 9. He says, he provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. He cares for all of them. What a beautiful truth concerning the care and the love that God has for his children. He feeds the birds of the air. Will he not take care of you? He asks the rhetorical question, Jesus, are you not of more value than they? Yes, we are, in fact, of more value 
than the animals. We are the crowning jewel of his creation. We were put on this earth to take dominion as God told Adam in the garden. Amen. We are the objects of redemption and salvation and we are created in his image. The animals are not. You are far more important than they. PETA does not like that. Does not like hearing that. How dare you say that you are more valuable than animals? Well, they're wrong. PETA is unbiblical. (laughs) Yes, you are of more value than the animals. Yes, God loves the birds. He loves the beasts of the field and the oceanic creatures, but they are not created in his image. You are. They do not know God the way that we can know God in an intimate way. You love your dog. I love my dog. I talk to my dog. It gets weird. (laughs) But your dog, he doesn't have a soul. He doesn't know God the way that you know God. It's not the same. You may or may not see your dog in heaven someday. Who knows? Maybe God will bless us with pets in heaven. I don't know. But the point is clear that you are of far more value to your heavenly father. Why are you worried? God does not say to the animals or to the beasts of the field, now your body is a temple, you pack of wolves. Make sure you glorify God with your body as you rip your prey to shreds and have dinner for the night. He doesn't say that. He says that to you, your body is the temple of the Lord, temple of the Holy Spirit. Glorify God with your body. We're not the same as animals. So Jesus then gets to the heart of why anxiety is fruitless in verse 27. He says, by being anxious and or worrying, we cannot add anything to our life, not even a single hour to our lifespan. Job confirms the same in the Old Testament, Job 14.5, saying, Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Appointed, determined, beforehand. And the psalmist, again, in Psalm 139, verse 16, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me or determined for me, when as yet there was none of them. He determines and has your whole life, your whole being in his hands. Anxiety is therefore fruitless. It adds nothing to your life. Not a single iota. Instead, knowing that we who are believers in Christ, who we are children of God, we're inheritors of eternal life, we ought not worry about these trivial things. All your days are numbered, appointed, written, and formed for God's purposes, for his glory, and for your good. Amen? Amen. All of them. So God's... God's desire for us as a matter of application, and so so our desire should be as Christians, is to be fruitful. Amen? Not fruitless. Luke 12, verse 26, this same 
sermon. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life since you cannot do this very little thing? Why do you worry about the rest? This is not fruitful. And in John chapter 15, verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Disciples are fruitful. What would happen if the time we spent worrying and fretting over so much, so many fruitless things, what if instead we took that time and spent it on bearing good spiritual fruit? Instead of worrying. Furthermore, when we worry and we overwhelm ourselves with fruitless anxiety, it reveals a lack of trust, doesn't it? A lack of faith in God. Which brings us to point number two that anxiety is faithless. It's faithless. Now, I'm not, I'm not pointing a finger at you right now and say, You are so faithless. You have no faith. Shame on you. I'm saying that. Anxiety in and of itself is faithless. It does not contain an attitude of a faith-filled believer. What do I mean? Well, ultimately, what is worry and anxiety? Well, it's rooted in fear, isn't it? It's fear. Anxiety is defined as a fear of what might happen, something that hasn't even happened yet, and we're full of impatience and nervousness and unease because of an uncertain outcome but ultimately fear worry and anxiety are rooted in a lack of trust in the sovereignty of God do you see that he said earlier in verse 24 after speaking about storing up treasures in heaven he says no one can serve two masters you cannot serve God and money So in context, we see here a bit of what Jesus is getting at. Immediately following verse 24, he says, therefore, which ties the previous section to the current section. So what we can glean from this is that those who serve God should not be anxious about their life, he says. And then immediately he goes on to this section about not being anxious. Immediately after. So this raises some questions, doesn't it? Who is it that serves God and money or any other trivial thing? Who is it that worries about such things? It is the one who has little faith. Do you see? It is the one who is perhaps trusting in God a little bit, but also self. Or maybe not trusting in God at all. Maybe all myself. This is the person who worries about these things. On the contrary, who is it that is free from anxiety? That is free from it? Who is it that does not worry about their life and the provision of food or clothing or the other things mentioned in verses 25 through 26? Answer, it is the one who trusts God, who serves God as their master, who loves God and has faith in his good purposes for your life. We trust in him. Therefore, we can see clearly that that those who are overwhelmed by anxiety over their life, they reveal some sort of lack of trust in God, don't they? A lack of faith. 
Jesus further fleshes this out in verse 28 through 30. As we go back to the text, he mentions clothing a second time in verse 28. Why are you anxious, he says. The lilies, they grow, they're beautifully arrayed in glory, even though they don't even work for it. Does it upset you? Do you know any of those people who are just so beautiful and always put together and they don't even work for it? Isn't that frustrating? They don't even work for it. Consider the short life of flowers, right? They have their short season of growth and bloom, and some only bloom in certain seasons. That always upsets me about flowers. Why in the world did we buy all these flowers? They're pretty for two weeks, and now they're gone. My wife is a beautiful gardener, and she helped change my mind on that a little bit. (laughs) But God still makes these flowers beautiful. He takes care of them. So don't you think he will take care of his people as well? Are the people of God not of greater value than the flowers or the grass? These things wither and die and are good for a furnace. But the people of God, the children of God, those who are in him, his sheep, they live on into eternity forever. Verse 29 speaks of Solomon who wrote Proverbs 16:9 when he said, "The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs or establishes or determines his steps." The Lord does. You don't. This proverb reminds us of the sovereignty of God over every aspect of your life. You can plan and plan and worry all you want. <laughs> But the Lord directs and establishes your steps. Building from that thought regarding Solomon and his proverb in verse 30, he drives home the same point regarding the sovereignty of God. He asks, will, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? See, the problem of anxiety stems from a lack of trust, a lack of faith in Almighty God. This is a a tough thing to think about. Ultimately, when we needlessly worry, we are, in a sense, saying, God, you cannot be trusted with this situation. I need to handle it. I need to fix it. That's a tough thing to think about, but we need to be confronted with that. If we trusted God and truly trusted that he directs our steps and that he determines all our steps in this life, then we have no reason to worry. Do you trust him? Amen? Do you trust him? I'm listening to a a sermon recently from Alistair Begg, and during some of my studies, he uh, gave several examples of the disciples and how they showed their true colors regarding worry and anxiety and all these things. And they came out so clearly. Listen, Jesus is well aware of our infirmities. He is well aware of our anxieties and our worries. In his humanity here on this earth, he got hungry. He got thirsty. He experienced the heat of the day. He got tired. He slept. He directly encountered the stresses of this world and the anxieties that the disciples deal with who simply did not get it many times. 
They're in the presence of Almighty God, and they don't get it, do they? And they constantly show their fears and their anxieties, and they had the audacity to distrust in Jesus, God in the flesh, standing right before them. And so Alistair Begg gave these couple examples that I thought were just funny. In plain English, referencing real stories in the Bible, he says, Well, you know, Lord, we, we came back from the evangelism campaign, but there was a big resistance to us. You know, they didn't like us. Hey, you know what? Should we call down fire and torch the place? Just set it on fire? They didn't like us. Jesus says, No, no, I don't, I don't think we're going to do that this morning. <laughs> hey, Jesus! Jesus! Wake up! Just so you know, we are drowning, like right now. Just thought you'd want to know. All right? And Jesus, of course, takes care of it. You think you're the only one that gets worried? Of course not. What a friend we have in Jesus who is able to understand our infirmities and understand what we go through. You see... Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's the difference. God in the flesh. Yes, he experienced various human symptoms, perhaps, in his humanity, but in his deity, he was not subject to one of them. Not one nor did he ever sin. He never worried or had anxiety, for he was God incarnate and had been in control since he created the universe. He did not have anxiety. And that God of the universe has a purpose and a plan. That's what we see screamed from the mountaintops in Romans 8, verse 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For good. For those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If God works all things together for his glory and for the good of the called, according to his purposes, what are you worried about? What are you worried about? He then follows up in verse 30 of Matthew chapter 6 with another therefore meaning because God is sovereign, because he clothes the lilies and the grass of the fields, because your heavenly father loves you and he cares for you, do not be anxious. Which brings us to our third and final point, that anxiety is worldly. Anxiety is worldly. He says in verse 31, therefore do not be anxious. Once again, this is the fourth occurrence. He said it. It is clear that it shouldn't necessarily be our goal to get out of the situation that we're in and weasel our way out of it, so to speak. 
but we are to not worry. We should strive to get rid of the anxiety that surrounds this situation. Well, how do we do that? Trust in God. Trust in Him alone. This verse 32, this is the point that we're getting at in the Greek here where he says the Gentiles. What it refers to here is the nations. What he's talking about is those nations that do not know God. See, the book of Acts hasn't happened yet. The ministry of Paul hasn't happened yet. So he's using this word generally to speak of the nations who do not yet know him. This, of course, does not mean that Gentiles cannot be saved or that they can't come to know God. If that were the case, then all of us would be in big, big trouble, right? But he's using this word generally to speak of the nations. Why? Well, a natural tendency or a propensity, you could say, of those who do not know God is to ask the question seen in verse 31. In verse 31, what shall we do? <laughs> we know this is speaking of those who do not know God because verse 32 draws a contrast saying, and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He knows. He already knows. He knows before you even ask. We see that just earlier in this chapter. Verse 33 clarifies that he is contrasting with believers, the children of God. Why? Well, because only believers seek first the kingdom of God. Only believers desire to do that. Amen? Do you desire that? Only believers desire this. We see that in Romans 3. No one seeks after God. There is none righteous. No, not one. They have all gone astray. They've all become worthless, Paul says. There is no God seeker. But for those who know God, who have been changed by God, who have been given a new heart by God, it is those who seek first his kingdom and they trust in God as the provider for all things. All things. Our Heavenly Father not only knows that we have needs, but He is able to provide those needs. Amen? This is not to say that a Christian will never go hungry or that will never experience trials. We see that Paul mentions things like that about believers. He mentions famine and nakedness in Romans 8 towards the end of the chapter. He mentions that some are being killed all the day long, being led away as sheep to the slaughter. So yes, we will experience trials, but we are told that everything we need according to the will of God will be given to us. Do you believe that? The remedy for this anxiety just mentioned in verse 31 is found here in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. The question is, do you trust him? Do you actually believe that he will provide everything that you need, even if it's not exactly what you might want? But he knows what you need. Do you see? Do not trust in yourself. He says, verse 33, all these things. Well, what things? Everything you need. Again, not what you want. 
what you need. Do not trust in yourself. Don't trust in your parents. Don't trust in your colleagues, etc. Trust in God Almighty who upholds the universe by the word of his power, we're told. Trust in that God. No matter what you're going through. He is the sovereign ruler over all things. Cast your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he loves you. His people. Amen. Because he loves you. It is the trusting believer who says, I know this is difficult. I know this seems out of control. And this is something worth worrying about. But I also know the one who is in sovereign control over all things, including my life and death and every circumstance I encounter. So I will seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I will trust that he has it under control. I'll trust that God. Worry and anxiety is of the world. Let us be different from the world. In closing here, this has been very much my own prayer, you know, in this journey that I've been on over the past few years with preaching and teaching and, and studying vigorously and trying to grow and biblical and theological knowledge and all these things, seeking to be obedient and preaching wherever I can, just trying to sow into the kingdom, all while, while trusting God that he will lead me and place me wherever he wants me. That has to be my prayer. He'll place me wherever he wants for his purposes and for my good. So I must seek what? His kingdom. And desire what he desires. And know that at the end of myself, I have to throw my arms up in submission and say, Lord, I trust you. Please, will you help me? Will you equip me to do your work? That must be our prayer. What causes you anxiety? What causes you worry? Are you worried today? Believer, you need to remember some things. That God is still on his throne. He's on his throne. He is reigning and ruling this universe exactly how he ordained to rule it. He's calling all of his sheep to himself. He's conforming his church and he cannot fail and no one can stay his hand or ask, what have you done? That is our God. You say, but there's just so much sin and so much trouble in the world. Yes, there is. But as Abraham told us, the judge of all the earth will do what is right. He will. Do you believe that? He will. Every sin, every wicked thing will be paid for according to the holiness and righteousness of God. Every single sin will either, either be paid for by the sinner in an eternity in hell or it was paid for and laid upon the back of Christ on the cross. And he drank that cup dry. 
that the Father poured out on him. What are you worried about? Our Lord said, no. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Everything else will be taken care of. He's sovereign over the big things and the little things. It, was, it reminded me of a story of a great preacher. I don't specifically remember where this quote came from. I'll just attribute it to Spurgeon because he's a quote machine. <laughs> I'm assuming it came from him. But story of a great preacher where a woman approached him after his sermon and she asked him, Preacher, should I just pray to God about the big things or also the small things? And he responded and gave her a good smile and he said, My dear woman, to God, all your problems are small. <laughs> what are you worried about? I love the way Jesus finishes up this teaching on anxiety and the parallel Luke 12 that I mentioned. In verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock. Isn't that beautiful? Just the words of the good shepherd. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you trust in God Almighty today? Do you know him? Because what you need to not forget, and this is the last thing I'll say, that your greatest need, if you are in Christ, has already been taken care of. Your greatest need is to be forgiven of your sin and to be justified before a holy God. Do you trust and believe in the sovereign God who condescended and took on flesh? He lived a perfect life and fulfilled the whole law. He became a curse and died the death that I should have died and he rose victoriously on the third day. Do we trust that he will save all his people? Do you trust that if you are in him, there is therefore now no condemnation for you? What are you worried about today? Cast your cares and anxieties upon him. Trust in Christ alone to save you, not yourself. It will be the best thing you can do with any of your troubles. And if you need to talk to somebody about that today, I'll be here. And Bill will be here. I'd love to talk to you about that, about this God and your need for him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we are so humbled by your word. It is life to us. It is Overwhelming to us as we stand in awe of who you are. Let us remember your sovereignty, God, that you will accomplish your purposes, that you are working out all your good pleasure in us and through us for your glory and for our good. Help us not to worry, oh God. Let us trust in you. Let us never forget what you've done for us and what you accomplished on that cross for all of your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen.